Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Continuing in this series, Jason is in part 35. Today his sermon is entitled, A Total Reversal. Turn to Acts chapter 9, and today we're in verses 19 through 25. Here's Jason. Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome once again to Rancho Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here, and we are continuing our walk through the book of Acts. As Pastor Tom said, watching Jesus at work, and, and today we are going to see Jesus at work once again. As we transition from the, the salvation account of Saul, and really his salvation story, and what, what we're going to see today are, are really his first days as a believer. And as I considered this, this text that we're going to be looking at this morning, and and what I've entitled this sermon, A Total Reversal, I'm sure as you think through your life, you, you're reminded of someone whose life was something entirely different before Christ, and then after Christ, it, it's something altogether new. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And, and in Papua New Guinea, as we served as, as missionaries there, we saw many lives that were changed. Many lives that were, were nothing like they were before. And then after Christ, there, there was a complete reversal. And one such life that, that sticks out to me is a, a young man named Noah. And he was probably one of the first children, one of the first boys that we met as we moved into the village of Siawi back in 1998. And young Noah came up to me, and, I, and it might have been like right after we got off the plane and all of our stuff was unloaded. And he hands me this letter. And in the letter, basically, he says, okay, look, the ground where your house sits is my father's ground. And as such, I'm kind of like the boss. And I want you to hire me as your work boy. So I will do your trash, I'll, I'll do your laundry, I'll do this and I'll do that. And in return, you'll give me lots of stuff. And so I, I replied to Noah and said, man, I, I hear where you're coming from and, and that would be great. But, you know, my wife actually wants to learn the language. And so rather than, than having some boys help us, we're, we're going we're gonna to have some girls help. And that way they can speak the language with, with Shannon and yeah, I hope that's okay. Well, to be honest, Noah had a, had a bit of a, of a temper issue, a bit of an anger issue, and it, and it was something that continued to, to pop its head up throughout the years as we ministered in this village in Papua New Guinea. And I still remember as we began teaching and continued the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in our evangelistic Bible lessons, Noah built this cool little chair in the back of the church. And he was sitting in it and he thought that he was just so great because he made this nice chair and nobody else was sitting in it. Well, one day some larger boys came and they kicked him out of that chair. And so he came back later on that afternoon with his machete and he just demolished that chair. Later on, he came and he threw rocks and interrupted the teaching. 
And he just kept on showing us that, that he is a, a, not only a boy now, but a young man ripped with anger, characterized by anger. And I'd like to say that it stopped as he grew up and got married, but it continued on. And as he got married, at some point he decided that he needed another wife. And as is the custom so often, he looked to his in-laws for his second wife. And of all the women that he set his eyes upon, he wanted his wife's younger sister. And so he approached their family and they said no. And then he decided to approach their family again. And and this time he had a great big chain and I still don't know where he got it from. With links in it, very, very heavy. And he goes to his father-in-law's house and his father-in-law was gone, but his mother-in-law was there and, and he proceeded to to hurt her. To try to compel her to give him their other daughter. And they still didn't give him their other daughter. And as you can imagine, that really messed up the relationship in the village between Noah and his in-laws. And actually, there was problems with Noah and lots of people in the village because of this problem that he had with anger. And it continued and continued until one day, the Lord saved him. And he professed his faith in Christ. And I wondered, man, what what is the new Noah going to look like? And he started coming to the men's times that we were having, and he and his hunger for God's word grew and grew and grew, and he and he had me to his house, and he talked to me about things he was learning. I could hear him teaching his children. One day he was out hunting, and he heard a. A girl screams and, and he wasn't sure who was screaming or not. So he, so he ran over there and when he got there, he saw that it was his two younger sisters. And one of his sisters was, was up in a tree and his other sister was at the base of another tree with a wild boar on top of her. A huge wild boar. Apparently, his two sisters were out with their dog that morning. They thought it was a, a big, large rat in a bush that their dog had chased. And when they went into the bush to grab the big rat, they found out that is not a big rat. That is a great big wild boar. One thing you do not do in the jungle is wake up a wild boar. It turns on you. So it turned on them, chased them up the tree. The one sister was faster than the other sister. The other sister was climbing up the tree. The boar actually grabbed her and pulled her down. And and, and he was skewing her and sitting on top of her. Noah ran up. He had his axe and he was hitting him. But still that didn't stop this wild boar. And he kept hitting, hitting, hitting. And finally the wild boar turned on him, chased him around a tree. And somehow he was able to use his axe and get right on the nose of of that animal. And, and, And so then that wild boar ran off. And then the Lord used Noah to help carry his 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 bleeding sister back to the airstrip. And there by God's providence and wonderful grace, there was time to have an airplane come and pick her up and take her out to the city where there was a hospital where Shannon and I and our family happened to be. Now normally the custom is is that the father would accompany his daughter when they they left the tribe and, and came to something like this hospital. But do you know who came? It was Noah. And for the next 
what was it, four, five, six months. I, I spent time with Noah. Shannon and I went and, and we spent time with Julie, T.O.D., his sister, as she, she took a long time to recover from all these puncture wounds all over her body. But do you know what Noah was doing? He was reading the Word. He was sharing Christ with all those around him. He was in, including his own sister who, who was not saved. He, he was a changed man. When he, when he came back into the village, he learned how to, how to play the guitar. And he became one of the guys that, that was helping out in worship. It was a total reversal of the way that he used to live. And, and that's what we're going to see this morning. Turn with me to, to Acts chapter 9. As we see a, a complete and total reversal in the life of Saul. As he has changed, then the change is profound. The change is instant and the change is glorious. Later on, Saul, known as the Apostle Paul, would write these words in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you've probably heard before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, long before the Apostle Paul wrote those words, before he penned those words, he lived them. And today we are going to see that really what constitutes the first pages of his biography, the first pages of his life as a believer. And I pray that this is an encouragement and a challenge to us all, as it has been for me the last week, considering the life of Saul after the road to Emmaus, or after the road to Damascus and his encounter with Jesus. So let's look at verses 19, the second half of 19, all the way to 25, which read, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who came and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall lowering him in a large basket. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would guide our time now, Lord. That you would allow your Holy Spirit to make your word clear to us, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to be the one who teaches us this morning, to gleam the things that you would have us gleam, that we might live for you in this world as Saul lived for you, transformed by your wonderful grace and changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today what we are going to see is a, a reversal, a reversal of, of actually many aspects of the life of Saul. First, we're going to see a reversal of proclamation, a reversal of what Saul was preaching, what Saul was teaching, what Saul was literally saying with his mouth. 
over and over again as before Christ, it was something entirely different than what we're going to see today in verses 19 to 20. But not only are we going to see a reversal of proclamation, we're going to see a reversal of purpose. The whole reason why Saul would get up in the morning completely changes. We've seen up to this point, the reason why Saul got up in the morning was to go after believers, to go after those who followed Christ, to go after those who preached Christ in particular. And now we're going to see a change in that, a a whole change in the purpose. We are going to see a reversal of his life's purpose. And then finally, we're going to see this, a reversal of plot. We're going to see that, that the story of Saul, even though it looks like he should be done, that he should be caught, that he should be taken into custody and, and destroyed and killed, that the Lord had a different plot for him. He had a different life story for him that he was not finished living yet. And as a result, we will see this, this reversal of plot in the final verses in 23 to 25. So first, let's look at a reversal of proclamation. As we see this, that the prosecutor Saul becomes the preacher Saul. And we see this in verses 19 and 20. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. So the first thing that that Luke depicts to us is who Saul was with. He says, now for several days he was with the disciples. I, I don't want you to get the impression that this just means that he was merely staying with the disciples. That he had no other place to go. And so for a little bit of time, he just stayed at their house. On the couch while they did whatever they did, he did whatever he did. The the word in the Greek is much deeper, much more significant than this. It literally means to start off on a new beginning. It can be mean to be birthed, to be closely related to someone, or to be closely related to something, or to literally belong. This is depicting that that he didn't just stay with the disciples at Damascus, but he became one of them. He was grafted in to their family and he started off his new life with them. It was as if he was birthed into their fellowship. And who were they? We, We see them designated as disciples, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means those who are constantly associated with someone, a particular person. And in this case, it's the particular person of Jesus Christ. Much like the the name Christian means Christ like to be associated with him. That is now how we could depict Saul. That that he spent time with those who were closely associated with Jesus Christ. Why? Because he too was closely associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes intimately and constantly associated with him. And don't miss the significance of where he's come from to where he is today. Because this one, this, this man, Saul, who is so bent on going after the believers that he was described as a wild animal. In a garden, right, is now no longer a wild animal going after the believers. But instead, he he is a man who is one of them. 
And on the flip side as well, think about the believers here. Those in Damascus. No doubt that before they were full of prejudice, they knew who this man was. And no doubt they were full of fear regarding him. But now we see because of the gospel and because of what Jesus Christ did, what happens? Now they enjoy this deep, rich fellowship and they are one body. But we see that that is not all that Luke communicates to us as to what happens in the beginning days of Saul's life as a believer. As we see immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. At once, right away. It wasn't that he waited before he started preaching and teaching and telling others about Christ. Why is that? It's because Saul recognized that the good news that he had received, that he had heard, was too good to not share with someone else. And so what did he do? He proclaimed, he, he made a public declaration, he announced in a formal setting who this Jesus Christ is. And where did he do that? Did you notice that? He, he did that in synagogues. In the synagogues. Not one synagogue, but many synagogues. It's, it's plural. But think with me for a moment of all the places for him to go. He goes to the very place where he was intending to go in the first place. But for an entirely different reason. And on the entirely other side of those who before he thought were his enemies, but now are his friends, are now part of his family. And so he goes to these synagogues. And what does he say? He says, he, meaning Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. This is the first time that we've, we've seen this, this title used about Jesus Christ. And, it, and it's speaking of the fact that Jesus is divine, that He is indeed God. Because to be called the Son of someone means that you are totally identified with that particular person and their identity. And whatever their identity is, is your identity. And so he is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is God. They are one and the same. Which is so ironic because he's, he's carrying papers that give him the authority to, to proclaim an entirely different message, right? He had come with these papers in order to stand up and let everyone, hey, no, look. I have the authority right here vested, given to me by the high priest, by the Sanhedrin, to take all of you who profess faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, men right now, go get them. But instead of proclaiming that, he does the complete opposite. And maybe he actually even tells them, hey, you know why I came here, but really the reason why I am here is to tell you they're right. That Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. And so he makes this total reversal of his proclamation of what he was intending to say. And, and we have to ask ourselves, right? How long had all of this been going on since his trip on the road to Damascus and, and the Lord appeared to him? Days. Days, and he's already wanting to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Have, have you ever been around a new Christian? A new believer and, and, and saw and heard how they always talk about the Lord. There's just something sweet and inspiring about a new believer's trust and total excitement about the Lord. 
And it's no different here with Saul. After he'd been with the saints for several days, it's not enough for him to keep staying with the saints. He wants to go and proclaim Jesus because he knows that he has the good news. That he has the answer to all of their questions. And that answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see too that it's not just a a reversal of what he was proclaiming, but it goes deeper than that. As as we see next this, it, it, it was truly a reversal of purpose. The reason why he got up in the morning. And I think if we thought about it among ourselves, we could all say the same thing. The reason why we used to live before Christ and now the reason why we get up in the morning and and live, it's different. We are now considering, man, what do you have for me today, Lord? How can I serve you? How can I walk with you more fully before you? And and we see this in a a reversal of purpose in the life of, of Saul. Oh, it's so clear. Even from the perspective of those outside of Christendom, outside the church of Christ. Look at verse 21. All those hearing him, speaking of Saul, continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? In the Greek, it's very interesting that what's being emphasized here is not so much what they heard. It's not so much in this verse what he was actually saying, but it was the fact of who he is and why he had come. That's what's being emphasized. They all got it. They all understood, oh, this guy was coming here for an entirely different reason. He was coming here to destroy the church here in Damascus, just like he was trying to destroy the church in Jerusalem. And yet, look at what he's doing. He's doing something entirely different. And that's what causes them to what? To be so amazed. It's even more telling when they say this, that he was the one who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. That this term to, to come here, that he had come here for this particular purpose in the Greek actually has has this incredible nuance of, of tense, meaning that, that this was an action that was completed in the past. So he, his, his life's ambition at one point was in order to destroy Christ's church. But, but that life's direction, that passion that he had, that desire that he had was completed in the past and left in the past. There's another word, another way that you can use the Greek that tells you, oh no, this is something completed in the past, but it has results to today to now. As in Jesus dying and and what He has accomplished on the cross by providing salvation, by redeeming us. That that is not something left in the past, but to today, right now, that forgiveness that He granted through the cross for us believing unto salvation whenever we were saved is still working and active today. This is different. This is saying this was only this time in the past and it stopped right here, right when He got saved. And and isn't that encouraging to you and I? That, That no matter what your past is, no matter what you used to live for, even how you were identified, because that's all wrapped up in this, right? They not only knew what he'd come for, but they knew what kind of man he was. 
And yet in Christ, He is a new creation. And we see that in His life. And His purpose clearly changes. And now He is living for the Lord. He is committed to preaching the Lord. But we also see that that other things have changed in Him. Look at verse 22. So it's not just the purpose that has changed, but look at this. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, now this word increasing in strength, it can mean that it's speaking only of his physical strength. That, that somehow he was increasing in physical strength. And, and some believe, oh yes, it's pointing back to the road to Damascus and how he was fasting for three days and now his body strengthened. But, but we already saw that earlier in verse 19. And the other way that this word can be used, it, it, it can mean to allow someone to have more and more of an ability to do something that they were not able to do in the past or before. So it's not the idea of strengthening his, his physical body, but it's the idea of strengthening him, allowing him to get stronger and stronger in his ability to preach, in his ability to teach. And that this strengthening that the Lord is doing to him, he's not doing it himself, the Lord is strengthening him, that it allows two things to happen. We, we see that first it confounds the Jews that are there in Damascus, meaning it causes dismay, it causes confusion. It troubles them. It stirs them up. Why? Because the second thing is, he is proving that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the promised Messiah. And and that word to prove is to demonstrate through a logical conclusion. He's taking them back to the Old Testament and he's proving through the Scriptures that they already have, that they already know, just like him. And he's taking them back to those very Scriptures and he's saying, look, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let me take you to this passage and this passage. And that is what he is doing. And isn't it interesting that going back to the life of Stephen, do you remember what what we saw about Stephen? And when it comes time to, to him being tried and them asking him questions, that nobody could stand up to the logic and the defense of Stephen, right? And we theorized that possibly because this was Saul's synagogue, that he could have been one of the men trying to go toe-to-toe against Stephen. And so no doubt he was probably skilled in debate and skilled in public speaking. And now we see the Lord using those, those gifts and even the way that he was raised for his glory. And that really shouldn't be too surprising to us, right? Because Saul also had this great education. And he had this great understanding of the Old Testament, memorizing so much of the Old Testament. And so now he he has the key that was missing before. That puzzle piece that he didn't understand. And that puzzle piece, that key is Jesus Christ. And now it unlocks to a fuller understanding of the Old Testament. So he can take them back to the Old Testament and clearly explain to them and defend his position. Yes, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But even though he, he, he becomes a preacher and, 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 and the prosecutor that used to defend those who 
wanted to kill all these believers and even stood there when, when Stephen was, was being stoned as the authority, as the final authority, saying, yes, I agree that you can do this. That this prosecutor who now has become the preacher has another episode that, that we see that is revealed to us. Another reversal. And that reversal is this reversal of plot. And this is where we see the, the persecutor becoming the persecuted. We see the hunter because that is what he was doing. He was hunting down believers. So we see the hunter becoming the hunted. Look at verses 23 to just the first part of 24. As it is so clear that it looks like that, that his life is, is just about to end. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. That means to murder. That means to destroy. That means to kill. That's what they wanted. They just weren't going to take him to court and try him. They wanted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. So then this would be a, a reversal in the life story of Saul. It looks like he's in dire straits and there's no way for him to get out of this. And yet we know that there is so much more to this story than, than just what is penned here in, in these pages and these verses. In fact, as you look at verse 23, much as I looked at it as I began studying this out, it says, when many days had elapsed, I naturally assumed, oh, well, that's probably just two, three, four days. And yet, as you, as you look into the Greek, you find that it's not used, this, this time phrase is not used for a short stint of time. So it can't be talking about two, three, or four days, even a week or two weeks. It, it's used to identify the completion of a significant period of time. Perhaps years. And this is indeed what we see in God's Word. That there is actually, between verse 22 and 23, something else that happens. That Luke doesn't tell us here in the book of Acts, but, but Paul himself lets us know in Galatians. So turn to Galatians chapter 1, and let me try to fill in this gap. This chronology of, of Saul, and exactly the way that, that his life is lived out. Because you would think that, that as we just look at the book of Acts in chapter 9 that we're looking at this morning, that, that he is on the road to, to Damascus. The Lord Jesus appears to him. He gets saved. He then goes into Damascus. Ananias comes and he, his vision is restored. And then he stays with the believers for a couple days. And then it seems naturally, okay, he's placed in a basket and thrown down. Okay, lowered down, gently, I'm sure. But that's not the case. L look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. And, and we see that there is a, a missing part of the puzzle that he gives us here. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Speaking of the apostles, he doesn't go to the apostles right away. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to where? To Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So, so there's a time span here where, where before this actually happens, where he's lowered down in, in this basket, he goes to this 
place called Arabia that, that is not the Arabia that you and I think about today that would be considered Arabia. This is an area known as the Nabataean Arabia. And, it, and it's, it's close to the Sinai Peninsula. And it's not so far away from Damascus where he is located. So it's very feasible he could just walk over there. So he goes to Arabia for these three years, but, but we must ask ourselves, well, why? Why would he go to Arabia? And there's two viewpoints as to why Saul went to Arabia, and both of them include the fact that the Lord Jesus is speaking to him, giving him the gospel, letting him know what he is to proclaim. But one viewpoint says that is all that he did, that he just goes there on some sort of a spiritual retreat where he's just contemplating and meditating with the Lord and spending time by himself the entire time while while he's there for three years. The other viewpoint, which I, I think goes along much better with Scripture, is that, okay, yes, he went to commune with God. Yes, he went and the, and the Lord Jesus spoke to him. But he also must have shared the, the gospel with those in Arabia, with the Arabs. Turn back just a couple Pages, at least a couple pages in my Bible, <laughs> to Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verses thirty-two to thirty-three, and here we see that it wasn't just the Jews who were upset with Saul at this time. There, there's another group of people who were upset with him as well, that are actually part of the story that that isn't revealed to us in Acts nine. Second Corinthians eleven thirty-two to thirty-three which says this, in Damascus, so he's speaking of when he was in Damascus, the ethnarch, which is just somebody who's representing the king of Arabia, under Aretas, this is the king of Arabia, was guarding the city of the Damascus. So in Damascus, they were guarding, what were they guarding? In order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. So, so why would, would these guys from Arabia be so upset with Saul that they would actually be guarding him as well and trying to figure out where he was? Well, because he must have got them upset through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. But we see God in his, in his grace as, as that it says in the very beginning of verse 24 that this plot became known to Saul. It wasn't that Saul discovered this plot himself. He's passive in, in this whole operation. He isn't going around seeking, trying to figure out what this plot is. The plot is brought to him. And, and that is God's grace. But it's not just the plot that's brought to him. But the Lord also provides a way out. As is so clear from the last two verses that we're going to look at this morning. Look at the second half of verse 24. So as this plot becomes known to Saul, they were all, he gives us this extra little tidbit of, of just how much they were into trying to stop him. How intentional they were. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. At first, I had the hardest time trying to figure out where these disciples came from. Because if he'd only been saved a couple weeks, where's the time for, for him to now have disciples, right? Because these are followers of his that he somehow has trained and taught and that 
are following him. That's what a disciple is. And so I believe with the understanding of Arabia and how he went to that desert, that makes this much more clear. But don't miss to the significance of what these men were doing and just how intensely they went after him. It, it only says, in at least in our Bibles or my Bible, that they were watching him. Right? Watching him day and night. That makes me think, okay, you go to Starbucks, you get a couple of things of coffee, you sit down in a nice lounge chair, and you wait. And you're just kind of watching. No, no, no. What, what's being communicated here is it's to stand guard and watch. It's, it's almost a military term. It's the same word used for the Pharisees watching Jesus to see if indeed he was going to heal on the Sabbath. Not let anything go by. And, and they were so intentional and they wanted to get him so bad that they were willing to do this when? 24-7. And we have to understand, well, how hard was that? Because at this time, the only way to get in and out of a city, especially if this city had walls around it, which was the case for Damascus, was through the opening of the gate. The front gates into the city. So that's all they had to do was to make sure that somebody had the gates cornered. That somebody was waiting in anticipation to do what? To grab Saul and kill him. And they were so committed to it that they would do it all night long. And it wasn't just the Jews. It was also these guys from Arabia that were after him. But then we see this, that his disciples took him that literally means that, they, that they, with their hands they grabbed him. And we see God's grace in this as well, right? Because not everybody had a house that was right on the wall. Especially on the very end edge of the wall. And we know from 2 Corinthians that we already looked at, that it wasn't just an opening, but a, but a window. And so God had orchestrated all this so that Saul could escape. So that this plot against him would be reversed. And we see how he does it. He does it through these believers. Of all the ways that God could do this, isn't that remarkable? You know, he could have just blinded eyes and Saul could have just walked right through, right through the gate in the middle of the day. But instead, he wants to teach Saul how much he needs to depend on him. And he wants to teach Saul how much he needs to depend on the fellowship of believers and how important the fellowship of believers is. And so they lower him in a basket. And, and this means a, a, a huge basket, very large, used to, to, to gather and collect excess food. It's the same word used for Jesus feeding the 4,000. And after they're done... And there, there's all this food left over. What do they do? They gather seven of these baskets. But you can't think in terms of the small little basket. You need to think in terms of a laundry hamper that's big enough for a family my size. Six, seven, eight members in the family. Huge, large enough that someone could fit in. But recognize too how humbling this would be. Just in the same way that as Saul came into Damascus, he must have had his, his mind set on what it would look like. And he comes into Damascus, nothing like how he thought he was going to come into Damascus. No doubt he leaves Damascus in much the same way. In a very humbling way. A very humbling experience. Probably a very fearful experience too. I'm thinking, I don't know how high the, the wall was, but you're in a little basket being lowered down. That, that had to scare him. But I believe the Lord often does this for all of us to teach us to trust Him. 
and to trust Him more fully. And yet, even in this, this escape in the basket, over the wall in Damascus, that, that we see here, doesn't this remind us of the suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to Ananias in his vision that Saul was going to run into? And in fact, what we see is this is just the beginning. That, that the Lord Jesus is not finished with Saul. In fact, he's just starting his work, the Lord's work. And the suffering as well is just being started. And, and the Lord in His providence and His goodness uses the most unlikely means to rescue Saul, right? He uses the very believers that He had come in order to capture, to help Him get out of the city. And, and this morning we've seen a reversal in, in so many ways that I don't want us to miss ourselves in this picture. We've seen this reversal in his, in his words and what he was proclaiming and his purpose in his life for getting up each day. And even in the plot that was set against him, we've seen that reversed. But you too, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you've seen some of these reversals, have you not? The words that used to fill your mouth and spew out of your lips, no doubt are much different now than the words that you used to speak before Christ. You wouldn't want to listen to me speak. Before I came to Christ as a young man. <laughs> Not at all. And today, the reason why we live is, is much different than the reason why we live before Christ. And then even in, in, in this idea of the plot, that when something seems to go the wrong way, and it seems like the plot, that it must be set against you in the story of your life, today you do not look at it from the same vantage point as you did before Christ. Now you see God being able to turn the bad things, the hard things, the suffering around for good. And you see God giving you the strength to not only get through it, but to stand up under it because of His wonderful grace, just as He did here in the life of Saul. So let me wrap things up with with two points to ponder this week. Things to consider as, as we move on from here. And come back and look at this passage. Lord willing, this week as, as you're spending time with the Lord. Consider, number one, how long Saul had been saved before he started sharing the gospel with others. Saul had only been saved several days. And yet he begins proclaiming the gospel. Why was he like that? Because the good news that he had was too good to keep to himself. Man, that's such a challenge to me. Is that a challenge to you? Let's ask the Lord to give us boldness this week to share Christ with others. Number two, consider how Christ allowed Saul to escape the city through being lowered in a basket. Saul enjoyed this this divine protection of the Lord until he was finished with the work that the Lord had given him. And isn't that encouraging to know that when we're walking with the Lord and doing what He desires, what is He going to do? He's going to protect us. He's going to look after us. So consider this week how you've seen the hand of God in protecting you throughout your life or maybe just recent in the recent days. How He's provided, how He's protected and looked after you. Let me close our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for these pictures from Your Word of real life accounts where you strengthened your believers 
you use your believers in others' lives. We pray that you would do the same in our lives as we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.